and welcome to the second season of the Yamcast, where we help young adults navigate this world and assist anyone in starting a young adult ministry. We do this by going through some books of the Bible that we are currently going through with our own young adult group. I am one of your hosts, Erica Haas. And I'm the other host, Chris Stukenberg. We love to guide this age group through life and their faith. And this season, we're actually going to cover the book of Ruth. Uh-huh. And we're super excited about it. So if you'd like to know more, check us out at Instagram at the EMCast or Facebook at EMCastPod. Or you can email us at EMCastPod at gmail.com. If you like what you hear, please share with your friends because we all know that sharing is caring. Subscribe, rate, and review on any of the podcast platforms. All right. So... We're starting another episode here. We wanted to start out with a shout out. We want to shout out to Cambria, who on Apple Podcasts had wrote a little review, which we thank you so much for doing that. She wrote, love you guys. She said, I'm not a super theologically intellectual person. Welcome to the party. Um, Sermons have been hard for me to follow in the past, and you guys are fun to listen to, and you make it interesting. Also, as a young adult, hearing wisdom from people who have walked the walk is so refreshing. Keep it up. Well, thank you, Cambria. That was great. That made it sound fantastic. I am thoroughly impressed with myself after listening to that review. I need to like put that on a shirt and walk around. It makes me feel good. That would be one of the longest shirts. <laughs> it would be. But it's totally worth it. <laughs> you like just stand in front of people? Read it. All right, then you move on. <laughs> That's me. She's talking to me. And then walk away. And then last week, we had a call to action. Your first step was to subscribe on whatever platform you use. And if you haven't done that yet, right now, what is wrong with you? Right now. Pause. We, we gave you a call subscribe. to action. Do, do it. Do what we've asked you to do. <laughs> the next one would be to share. Share this. Share this on your socials with your friends. We're in an S. Sharing is caring. Subscribe. Subscribe. Share. Share. S's. Yep. And then we'll have some R's next time, I think. So subscribe, share. Two things. Super easy. Thanks. You'll find out. I can't wait to find out what the R's are. So many possibilities in my head. I just have to find out next week. Return. <laughs> Did you say wrinkle? That's, that's not a W. That's not Mr. an R word. No, I said wrangle. Oh, wrangle. Chimney. Okay. I also don't think wrangle's an R word. <laughs> Like, oh, okay. <laughs> like, it totally is. We Still are a W. High, we're highly educated. It's, you know, it's summer. In a quarantine, you know, schooling at the end was whatever it was. So, <laughs> so this podcast episode, we're going to still kind of push back Ruth a little bit. Um, so if you're coming for Ruth 4, hold on another week. We'll do that next week or maybe the next week. Um and we're going to spend a little bit of time talking about discipleship. Like that's a, it's a word. I feel like it's a Christianese word that we throw out all of the time. And, but it is exactly what we're supposed to be focusing on. Jesus told us to do that. And so as working with young adults, it's an important thing to talk about, like, what does it actually look like? What does it look like if I am a disciple? What should my life look like? And not that we're just focusing on the looks but it's the things inside that end up coming out. And so we have, um, we're going to spend a little bit of time focusing on that this week and in, in the weeks ahead. So we have something called the DDP that we follow here at, at our church. And um, yeah, Chris, why don't you explain a little bit more about the DDP? It sounds so fun. Yeah, I think one of the things that we, I often hear from 
either youth pastors or young adult leaders is, I don't know that I'm discipling my people well. What does that look like? And we are not painting ourselves here as experts. However, we do have an overriding theory and goal that we're trying to accomplish, which I think is the first step in discipleship. One of my mentors once told me years ago that if you don't know the target you're aiming at, you're never going to get where you want to go. Very true. So if we're thinking like, I just want to disciple people, a lot of times in our culture, we think of that as I'm going to preach at them. And if they do what I've asked them to do, then I've discipled them. That is not discipleship. That is preaching. That's a part of the process. That's a lot of peas into mm. the microphone. That's a, that's a part of the process of what discipleship is. But Jesus calls us to be disciple makers. And if we're going to be disciple makers, we should at least start to consider what does the end product look like? And so at a very young age here at this church, I was told we have a product we're aiming for. And the description to me was given that we like to think of disciple making as like a car factory. At the end of the at the end of the line, the car needs to have this part, this part, this part, this part, this part in order to be a car. Otherwise, it's just a hunk of metal or otherwise it's a couple of tires with nothing else attached. Mm -hmm. So if we don't have all the right components to it, then it's not actually the car we're looking for. And so in the same way, we've asked the question many times and we've kind of pared it down and gotten to a place where we're really comfortable. And we've asked the question, what does it look like to be a discipled person? And so our church is aiming toward discipling people with this end goal in mind. And like you just said, we call it our DDP or our description of a discipled person. And we, we see it as six different things. And I'm going to run through them all really, really quickly. But love God and his word, love others. That's two of them. Then dependence on prayer, dependence on the Holy Spirit, and then living a life of worship and living a life that bears fruit. So we're going to break those down in three different parts over the next few weeks. But to deal with number one, we're just going to talk about this idea of loving God and his word and loving others. And so there's a great passage where Jesus actually models this and tells us this is what he's looking for. And I'm going to have Miss Erica read the passage today. All right. So Matthew 22, 34 through 40 says, but when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they'd gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in, in the law? Yeah, the great commandment. I was thinking the greatest. Hmm. And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment and a second is like it you shall love your neighbor as yourself on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets so this is a huge debate in the time of jesus what is the greatest commandment of the law and depending on where you landed sort of showed your cards as to which rabbi you were following so one rabbi would say the way to obey the law in in totality is to honor the Sabbath. The other one, specifically, at the time there were two two big names, Hillel and Shammai, and they one would say you you follow the Sabbath, and one would say you love your neighbor as yourself. What Jesus does when he's asked this question is he's trapped, so to speak. At least they think they're trapping him. Mm -hmm. But what Jesus does is does a tremendous thing. He quotes two Old Testament passages, which is quite interesting. 
I don't think we even realize that he's doing that. And he says, you're going to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Uh, other, you know, an- another gospel says heart, mind, soul, and strength. And that's the greatest of the commandments. You're going to honor the Lord. You're going to love mm-hmm. him with all that you have. But the second is just like it. And that's love people, love others. Now, we, we think we need to start thinking about this as a, first of all, it's a vertical relationship but it's a vertical relationship between us and God that then impacts our horizontal relationships. So first John four, for example, tells us if I don't love my, my brother or my sister, I don't really love God. I haven't understood what he's done for me. And there's all these amazing little parables. You know, Jesus is saying this guy owed a huge debt and was forgiven, walked outside and threw the other guy in jail for owing a little debt. And there's, over and over again, this is the kind of mentality that we see throughout Scripture. And it's really throughout the entire Bible. It permeates the entire thing. I think some people see the Old Testament God as a mean guy who doesn't really get it. And then they're like, oh, I love Jesus. And then it's like, Jesus had it all figured out. And then everybody else after Jesus tried to figure it out as well. But Jesus is really the epitome of it all. What's the better way to read Scripture is God really is love from the first page all the way to the end. And we, we, we're we discussing where this podcast is going to go over the next few months. And there's a possibility that we'll come back to that and deal with it in a much bigger. Uh, if not, there's a number of other places out there that we can send you if you need to know. So just let us know if you're like, I'm interested in that idea. Like, we can spell it out. We'll, we'll lay it out for you. But the idea is God is love. And if God is love, then we need to understand that our response to him is love. So I'll come back to that in just a second. And then the second thing is if we love God, then that means we love each other. We love other people. And so Jesus not only models this here in this passage, but he models it with his life, right? I mean, mm-hmm. he lives out what God wants him to live out and Jesus loves everybody. And that's why so many people are like, I love Jesus. I just don't know if I love the church because they see us as hypocritical and mean and all these other things. And they see Jesus and they're like, Jesus was the guy that just like accepted me for who I am. And he loved me no matter what, which isn't exactly what Jesus is going yeah. for. Uh, although he is reaching out and finding the the other people, the the outsiders, the the lost, the ones who feel like they don't have any value for God, and he's reaching them and pulling them in. So as a disciple of Jesus Christ, our first and utmost priority is love, that we love God as a response to his goodness to us, and then we love one another. So as we disciple people, this isn't necessarily the easiest thing to, to spell out, but as we've been discipling people over the years for you, like what... Where have you seen this? What's been challenging about it? What's great about it as you deal with young adults and college students? Well, I mean, it's – you see it everywhere that once you get in, quote, unquote, with Jesus, you end up almost shutting the door to not let others in. So even when Jesus is saying this, the actually, quote, unquote, religious are shutting the door for everyone else. Like they make it super difficult for people to actually follow which I would say is very applicable to what we even do today. We make it very hard. And so really just getting people to understand that you get in, you need to bring make it easy for other people to get in, not make it more difficult for other people to get in. But also I think what happens a lot of the times with this whole loving others is we see their their, the actions and the things that they do, and then we automatically think that that means negative things about them. Or we hold them to the Christian, for lack of a better term, standard, and they have that's not their standard. So I think that's what's hard, too, is people that 
aren't a part of the church, we hold to that standard, that Christian standard of this is what you're supposed to be doing. And they've never asked for that. So then we automatically are judging them. We automatically are saying like, oh, you've got to get this stuff figured out before you come, which Jesus never did with with people. And I think that's that's something I do with people often is I'm like, well, and I know it was kind of cliche, but it's true. What what did Jesus do? Not what would Jesus do? I often ask, what did he actually do? So when people are asking and, and questioning things or whatnot, I'm like, well, what did he do? Did he like who was he actually harsh with? Who was he actually angry with? Who who was he mean to? You know, because he wasn't, you know, throwing out flowers and rainbows everywhere like he there were times he was angry. And for us to learn when those times were and who those people were that he maybe had those moments to or what those moments were. I think that's really important because we end up kind of standing above people and judging them and looking down on them where that that was not what Jesus did. And so that's what the religious elite did. And so I I that's one thing I do really to get people to understand like how do I actually love people? How do I actually like spur them on? Like because I think that is something that's difficult as you're like I know what they're doing is wrong and they have professed maybe to to follow Jesus. How do I get them to realize it's wrong without coming across rude. And then I go back to like, well, how did Jesus do it? Right. And he did it. And sometimes he was super blunt. And sometimes we need to be really blunt and not just skirt around the issue. Um, but we're always so afraid of, you know, perception. But I think, I mean, I kind of walked around in circles a little bit with that, but I think those are all good nuggets to, to kind of dive into. But it is, it's what did Jesus do with others while he was here? And what allowed him to do that was his relationship with God and that he, so going kind of almost backwards, going from loving others to loving God. I mean, he took so much time away. I mean, like they couldn't find him, so they had to go, you know, search for him. And those weren't, I don't think, him just wandering around. Like a lot of times they say that he went somewhere to pray or he woke up before the sun. Like he prioritized that relationship, which made it easy for those other relationships to be easier because... I cannot imagine it was always easy with the disciples. Hmm. I mean, if you read the things that they said and the things that they did, you'd just be like, seriously, I feel like I'm knocking my head up against the wall. Like, what's going on here? And there are times when you can kind of maybe hear a little bit of frustration. Um, I read that into that. That might not actually be what's there. But he is able to do that because he spent time with the Father and he's gotten what he needs to be able to deal with people patiently, to deal with people kindly to not get super frustrated, even though people are very frustrating. Like he knows full well what people are. So yeah, I would say that's one thing that I talk about in my, my groups with people is, well, how did he handle people? How did he deal with them? So the overarching principle of this first idea is Jesus models for us what a healthy relationship with the father looks like. We totally believe even though sometimes it might come across that we're talking about Jesus and God as if they're different people. They're not. We know that Jesus is God. But Philippians 2 tells us in some way Jesus hid that element of his nature. It wasn't that he didn't have it inside of him. He was 100% God and 100% man. But for whatever reason, he he even the word surrendered, like we don't really have a good word in English, I think, for it. 
he did something to either cloak it or hide it or surrender it or just not use it. And in doing so, part of what Jesus is doing, and please hear what I just said there very closely and very carefully, part of what he is doing is modeling for us mm-hmm. what it looks like to be the true representative of humankind. So what Jesus is doing is he's being the best and the ultimate version of Adam that we were looking for from the beginning. If you ever think, man, I wish Adam hadn't eaten the fruit in the garden, Jesus does the exact opposite. Jesus is completely dependent on God's word. He, and, and yes, you could say, well, he is God. Of course he's dependent. But he, he was fully human. Was but he's temp- still human, yeah. Tempted in like... every way we were. So, so what he's doing there is modeling that for us. And so Philippians 2 is a great passage to go to and realize he surrendered everything and lowered himself to the point of a man. And in so doing, he begins to model what it looks like to love God, to love the Father. And so he obeys the Father's will all the way through. And part of the way he does that and knows what he's doing is he knows the word. Mm-hmm. When, when Satan tempts him in the desert, he quotes scripture. He knows the word inside and out. And so because he knows the word, he knows God. And it's vice versa. It's this beautiful symbiotic relationship of the more we fall in love with God, the more we want to spend time in his word, which is part of why we're doing the Yamcast. It's part of why we're spending as much time working through books like Judges and like Ruth as we are. And whatever books we're going to do in the future, our goal is we love the word because we love God. And so our love for God leads us to love him and want to know his word. So we're putting those two things together. So that's the first one, love God and his word. But as you love God in his word and you dig into his word, it's impossible not to notice that God wants us to love people. So that's the first part. Jesus lives out six specific things. We could, uh, you know, over the years, I've tried to pare this down as much as I possibly can, and I've gotten it down to six. I can't go any further than that, although I can say there's probably three categories. The first one is who we're meant to be, which is love embodied. So we love God and we love others, and we love God by loving his word. Also, the second part is the how do we do that? Well, we need to be dependent on prayer. We need to be dependent on the Holy Spirit. That's the how. We're never going to love God fully unless we are dependent on prayer and dependent on the Holy Spirit. And then finally, the what or the, the result. Okay, if we love God and his word and we love others, and if we are dependent on prayer, dependent on the Holy Spirit, what happens? We end up living a life as worship and we live a life that bears fruit. And that bearing fruit, we'll get into the details of what that looks like in a few weeks. But the idea here is Jesus is modeling for us what a Christian is supposed to look like and be like. And so then we go, okay, I love Jesus. What is my first step? My first step of loving Jesus is to follow Jesus and do whatever Jesus does, right? So if I want to follow Jesus and do whatever he does, then that means passages like this where he's asked, what is the most important commandment? He goes, well, it's to love God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. I should then love the Lord my God with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength. And if he says in the second is just like it, meaning this isn't like two things combating one another. Mm-hmm. It's not one and two. It's one and one A. If we're going to love God with everything we have, that means we're going to love others with everything we have, which means we're going to treat people differently than what we typically do. And if you're like, okay, that's nice that Jesus said that. Yeah, but he's quoting something, isn't he? It's, it's, it's pulling from somewhere. So I, I want to submit to you, uh, I'll read Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5, and then Erica, if you don't mind pulling up Leviticus 19, 18. Uh, but I just want, I want you to hear this. Jesus is quoting something. So someone says, you know, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus' response is, well, this is the greatest commandment. Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5 says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, which means there's only one God, there's one person to follow, that's it. 
And then verse five, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mights. And if you go to the Bible Project, they have an awesome video on those three words. But might there is meod, which is the everything inside of me. Everything I've got. So we say strength, but it means like my very being, my might, like all I've got. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to run all day long loving God with everything I've got, which is pretty cool. And then we're like, yeah, but the love your neighbor as yourself thing is, that's a New Testament concept. That never showed up in the Old Testament. Oh, wait, or did it, Erica? Yeah, Leviticus 19, 18. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Oh, my goodness. It's an Old Testament it's passage. There. So it's almost like Jesus is quoting the word. <laughs> they ask him, what's, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus' response is, well, love God and love others. And we go, well, that's very Jesus of you. He's like, well, no, it was in the Old Testament, too. It was all there. You just didn't read it. You didn't notice it. You didn't spend time really thinking it through. And then later on, someone says, well, Jesus, who's my neighbor? And they're expecting, mm-hmm. they're expecting Jesus to be like, oh, your neighbor This person, this person, this person, person lives, not that person, yeah, that person. Yeah. The person lives on your street right next to you, the one that you like, you know. Uh, you know, as a, as a white guy, sometimes <laughs> I tell the story of, you know, when I'm telling students this and they go, you know, who's my, you read the story of who's my neighbor. Mm-hmm. And they're like, your neighbor is all the white people that live next to you on your street. No, that's not what he's talking about. So what Jesus does with that story is he then pulls out really two religious leaders who you think are going to just rock it and do awesome. And they both totally stink and don't take care of the guy beating up in the ditch. But the guy that does take care of the guy beating up in the ditch is a Samaritan, like the worst of the worst. In their mind, that would be like us saying today, you know, a member of Al Qaeda is walking by and sees Mm -hmm. a guy in the ditch and decides to take up or, you know, somebody from ISIS or something, you know, like pick, yeah. Or a North Korean, you know, like a Kim Jong-un. Somebody is, that you think is a really bad Kim Jong-un is running by in a track suit and he sees a guy in the ditch. And he's like, oh, I help you. And then he gets down and helps him and he pulls him up and he takes him to the hospital. Like I just, the idea of Kim Jong-un in a, mm-hmm. in a track suit is phenomenal. But what he says, he uses that person in the story. And then he says to them, so who's the better neighbor? And there, as religious leaders are thinking, I would love to say it's the religious leaders, but they're like, no, it's, it's the, not, it's the other story. guy. It's, they said it's the one who helps. They don't even say it's the Samaritan. And he's like, you've spoken correctly. And then he just walks away and you're like, Jesus is like a voodoo artist. Like he he's just- He's a mic dropper. Yeah, he just jujitsu, you know, like not voodoo, but you know, like judo. Like yes. he just, he is like verbally judoing people and they're just like, mic drop, I don't know what to do. And then Jesus walks away and they're like, man. I gotta be left with that. Stumped me again. And so the idea is that Jesus is the embodiment of what God is wanting us to see. His relationship to us is, I love you. You're an outsider I love you. You're the lost sheep. I want to find you. You're a coin. I want to pull you in. And what Jesus does throughout his whole ministry is he pulls these rascals and and weirdos together and makes them like they hang out and they love each other because he loves them so much that they start to love each other. It's a beautiful idea. And then what he says is, church, I want you to do the same thing. And then we have issues with well, I don't know if I should love that person down the street because they aren't the same color of skin as I am. And I go, you haven't read the Bible. You've missed it. Right? Or they go, well, they have a different view on sexuality than I do. The, you should still love them. I think if you love them and show them the love of Christ, that may never convert them. But by the way, that's not the point. The point is just to love them with everything you've got. And if they go, yeah. I'm going to follow Jesus. This is really cool. You're the first person in my life to actually see me for me, still love me. 
And then as they follow Christ, they start to give up maybe those things, right? As they start to submit to scripture like we do, because we love God and his word, that we start to actually change the way we think and act and be. And if they never turn, that that doesn't matter. Like your job is to love mm-hmm. others, love your neighbor as yourself. And so we get caught up on the details all the time. And I have people come to me and it's like, well, okay, my friend though is really questioning their faith. Should I still love them? You should love them more now. This is the time that you love them more. Mm -hmm. And then they're like, but what if I fall away? Are you nervous of falling away? No. Are you loving God with everything you have? Yes. Are you studying scripture consistently? Yes. Do you have people in your life that are keeping you accountable? And they're like, yes. I said, and you've got nothing to be afraid of. Love them. Dive into the deep with them. Let them ask you the tough questions. It'll actually challenge your faith and help you be better at your faith. And so as a college leader and a young adult leader over the years, and I've been doing this for, well, I was a college student when I started leading college ministries. uh, One of the things I've learned over the years is I just need to love God with everything I've got and I need to love others. And when I do that, I'm going to wade into some territory that's a little bit dangerous sometimes. And people get a little nervous for me. They're like, are you are you turning into one of those? And I'm like, I don't even know what that means. You know, mm-hmm. like, what does it mean? Like somebody who's a liberal, crazy person? No, I'm not. I'm never, like, I love God's word. That's the only thing I care about. And as I'm reading God's word, all I see throughout the entire scripture, even when Joshua's clearing out the land and we dealt with this in Judges, there's more going on there than mm-hmm. simply Joshua clearing out the land. And so what God is doing is showing you, I love you so much. I want to create a space for you and I want you to feel comfortable and I want you to have a chance to see me. Now, there's a place where someone who's not walking with God, who's a believer, like you just talked about a little bit ago, that we say, hey, you know what? You've, you've missed it. I love you. We'll wait for you to come back. But th- we're, not, we're not on the same page here. That happens. And that's part of ministry that's difficult. But for the most part, the majority of our people in our college ministries are more than capable of reaching the outsider. All right. So with that in mind, we are in election season. I don't know if everyone's no- Yeah, I don't know if everyone's noticed are you sure? that. <laughs> whether it's whether it's conspiracy theories about COVID that involve the election or whether it's other things, I, I know that everyone's fully aware that they're they're in there election time. And if you're dealing with young adults and college students, there's a really good chance that they're asking you, who am I voting for? And I don't think there's a more divisive topic, especially with young adults yeah. right now than politics. So in order to deal with that concept, we decided to try something that we've never tried before. We're very nervous about this. If it doesn't go well, you'll never hear it. (laughs) (laughs) But we wanted to talk a little bit about politics and just deal with some things and maybe lay out some biblical themes and ideas to deal with. But in order to do that, we thought we'd pull together our producer who just happens to be entering his first election as an 18-year-old. Hi, James. Just crazy. Hi, guys. Or Jimmy D, as I like to call him. And James is going to uh, ask us some questions, and we're going to interact with those. And these might be questions that you would hear from a young adult or college student who's saying, who do I vote for right now? And I do that because it makes them sound way younger and more Mm -hmm. immature than they are. But you're way more mature than this. I know that. So, James. Yeah. What questions? No, I'm not talking about you. Oh. You're not more mature. Oh. But the people that they oh. deal with are yeah. more people mature. People that, that are listening to the interview. <laughs> okay. That makes a lot more sense. All right. um, I think probably 
first question would be is like, how as Christians are we supposed to be involved in politics? And kind of along with that, like, what is the role of the church in politics? That's a good one. <laughs> um, I mean, I mean, I don't have like a broader. This is scientifically found or research driven. I would just say, personally, I mean, there are people who love politics and if you love politics then that is probably where you personally should be you know like I am not somebody who loves politics so even even some people who think that maybe Christians shouldn't even be involved at all like no if if that is a passion of yours like that's probably where you're supposed to be and that's where you're supposed to shine um now if you're meaning just conversation wise if you're just meaning should it be my life for the average person? Like, I mean, we're going to talk about this a little bit too, but I mean, it's not government is not going to save you. It's not going to like, it's always going to be a slightly flawed because it's run by humans. Just as we've kind of talked about the church too, is always going to be slightly flawed. And we have to have grace there too, because it's run by humans. So I think sometimes we're putting a lot of, a lot of, um, like stake on that, like that the government is going to do this for me and it's going to get us out of this and it's going to protect us from this and it's going to all of those things. Whereas really the only thing that's certain is Jesus, God. That's the only thing that's certain. So just to be careful of that, like if I vote for this, then this is going to happen and just a lot of those kind of if-then statements because to be real, when the person elected, I haven't really seen them be able to do a, a lot to be honest, there's a lot of other things that are put in place that are kind of not allowing them to actually do things that they want to do, good or bad. So I think, yeah, if we make some of those if then statements, like if this person gets in, then that means this is going to happen. Probably not. I mean, <laughs> this starts all the way back from in high school when people are trying to run for some something and they're like, I'm going to give you this. And then, you know, when they get it, we did not have pop machines. We did not have whatever. You know what I mean? Like. They always run on these things that are kind of ideals yeah. that'll probably not happen. But also they got to that place because by the money that is brought in and they kind of have to also, you know, anyways. So let me jump in as a, as a believer in Christ, especially in an American uh, society, there is a role that Americans have to actually take part in their politics, whether it's voting or whether it's helping to paint pictures with certain images and help people understand the issues. Every Christian on the, on the face of the earth should be deeply concerned about a number of issues that matter deeply. People's lives are important. Making sure that equity is important it, that making sure that equity exists is important. I don't know that necessarily the government is the best way to create equity, mm -hmm. but we should care about other people. If we're going to love others, like we just talked about, we should, we should fight for those things. However, our hope should never be in the government, which is what you're saying. There's, there is nothing that has ever been done by the government that makes us go. That was the greatest thing that ever happened. Please hear me. I know people would say there's a lot of great things that have happened with the government. I'm not even saying that they haven't done good things at some point. The government was not put together to solve all of our problems. Mm -hmm. 
they were it, the the governing authorities and the structure exists. Even Paul says this in Romans thirteen and elsewhere. The goal of government is to bring us structure, and it's God ordained to allow us to not go crazy on one another. But our hope is not in government. Our hope is in Christ and in Christ alone. Our government is structured in such a way that it's actually not supposed to change things. We we enjoy blah. We enjoy keeping the status quo and letting everything go. So in this particular election that we're about to aim it for, if Trump is reelected, the world will not end. If Biden is, re- is, is elected, the world will not end. It, it's just the reality. Now, with that said, I understand the concern for either one of those individuals. And, and it's understandable, and I don't even disagree with you. So as an 18-year-old or a 19-year-old or all the way up to a 22, if this is your first election, (laughs) welcome to the party. It never gets easier than this. It is one of the most complicated matters. And as a Christian, we go, what am I supposed to do? Well, you're supposed to know the issues and vote according to your heart. And as the spirit leads you, I would put the spirit first, by the way, but not everybody thinks that way. So I start with, what do you feel? And then they're like, I'm like, okay, what does the Holy Spirit want you to, to, to vote for? With that said, even as you vote, there's a very good chance that what you're voting for is never actually going to be done the way that you want it to be done. Mm -hmm. So I've had young adults over the years who have voted for a certain individual and they were completely let down by that person. And I'm talking about both sides of the aisle. At some point you realize, man, politics isn't really where I put my hope. So I would like to rush us to that place where we go. Politics is important for us to take part in because we are a part of a country that asks Mm -hmm. us to be a part of it. Do your diligence, do your duty as a citizen of the United States, vote. However, understand that what you're voting for likely isn't going to turn out the way you want it to. But our hope is not in the president or a congressman. Our hope is in Jesus Christ and in him alone. Mm -hmm. Okay, question number two. All right, so kind of going off of what you said a few seconds ago, um, I actually asked for a little help on these questions from a close friend of mine who is also... First year, he turned 18 a few months ago, and he's mm-hmm. this is his first year voting. So I texted him and was like, hey, do you have any questions? Because I'm about to ask Chris and Erica for their advice. And he asked a question which I thought was really good. He said, how, as Christians, do we bring back the divide between the left and the right? <laughs> oh, my. Can we? Can it be saved? It's not Anyways. our job. It's like. It's just not our job. Yeah. What's ironic is we live in a country where the vote goes like 46% to 47%. Like we're that (laughs) close to each other. And yet everyone wants to rip the country apart when they lose. And that's on both sides of the aisle. Mm -hmm. Our nation is deeply flawed. And it is, I, I say that it is also the greatest version of the democracy that has ever existed since the beginning of time. We are the greatest experiment that has ever happened, and God has used us to do amazing things. We have stepped into world wars and helped them end. We have helped countless people around the planet. We have been one of the wealthiest nations, if not the wealthiest nation that ever existed. And we have helped nations and people all over the world learn things and do things Our missions organizations have pushed people further than we've ever gone before into deeper parts of the world than we've ever gone. We've done tremendous things, but we are deeply flawed. And 
what is happening in the divide between right and left, I have friends that are believers on both sides of the aisle. <laughs> and they don't agree with the other side or they deeply distrust the other side. And usually when we're in that spot, it's because we've placed our hope in the wrong things. So the thing we can do is remember that Jesus Christ is our only hope. We can't fix the divide. But what we can do is be an impacting person in our spot, wherever that is. So I, I have not given up on state politics or nation politics, but my job isn't to worry about all of that. I vote. I do my part. I'm, I'm vocal with people if they ask me questions about what to think about such and such and such and such. However, my job is to love the people of Pecatonica, Illinois, where we're about to move back to, and to love the people of Freeport, Illinois and the surrounding areas and just love people well and show them what it looks like to follow Jesus. And there are Democrats in my life who are like, man, I'm really surprised that you're as nice as you are because you have to vote Republican. You're an evangelical. And then I have Republican evangelicals in my life who are like, man, you got to be a liberal. Like, there's no way, <laughs> there's no way you, you, you act like this about certain things if you're a liberal. So people peg me on both sides of the aisle all the time. And I actually love that because I don't care what you think about me. I want to follow Jesus. And in the middle of that, my hope is in him and him alone. And then it leads people to their own conclusions. But my job is just to love folks. Yeah, kind of going off of that. Um, I think, yeah, we can't, like, we can't bridge that guide and, or um, divide. And as you had said, like, we're not really meant to. But I will say that when, like, practically, when I'm with people that I can tell are very much an us against them type of mentality, I, I just, I try to bring them back to kind of what you're talking about, Jesus, and that you're supposed to be loving people, but also mm -hmm. just helping them see that I think we, we start to villainize the other side, and that's not fair, that's not right, that's not just. And so even just some of those things, helping them to see a different perspective, maybe even helping them to see the other side's views and how they make sense even, you know. So maybe not bridging the divide wholly, but just even with people, just trying to get them to see the other side, to see other perspectives, to uh, to see the other side as human beings and not right. as this, like, I paint you as this villain and I don't even know you. And that's, and yeah, as Christians, as we've even talked about today, that's not, that's not what we're supposed to be about. So just trying to get them to remind them of like, what is actually important and that they actually do have thoughts on the other side that are valid too, you know? So, and most of that comes from fear. Yes. We are afraid that our version of the American dream is going to be destroyed. And so we push back on that idea. The problem is human beings are not our enemy. Yeah. Now there might be villainous individuals on either side of the aisle who are working together to try to ruin everything. That's possible. But I would suggest we love those people even more than we do the ones who are trying to do the right thing because they have bought into a, an, an ideology that is broken and is not going to do what they want it, what, what they even think it's going to do. So for example, right now you hear a ton of things being thrown around Marxism and socialism about the left and you hear fascism about the right, even to the extent that classrooms in our country have little things up showing the different sides of the political spectrum, <laughs> our nation almost unanimously is right down the center. Our issues are very minor, 
but we feel like they're the most important thing ever. So we blow them up into this big, huge thing. And what ends up happening is we yell villainous threats at one another as if we're not human beings. And we miss what Jesus just said, love your neighbor as yourself. So my neighbor's a Democrat. Okay. But my neighbor's flying a BLM flag. Okay. But I'm flying a BLM flag. Okay. What do you, what do you want from me? I, I want you to love God and love people. I would prefer that you do that in the most loving way possible, the least divisive way possible. Mm -hmm. But when you do things that are divisive, I still love you. I wish you'd do things differently, but I still love you. And so I'm here. So if you're flying an American flag, I'm not offended by that. If you're flying a different flag, I'm not offended by that. Do I wish that everybody thought the way I think? Sure. Don't we all? Like that's part of the thing. But if I'm following Jesus, Jesus didn't obey flags. He didn't do certain things. Mm -hmm. He, he marched down the middle of the road and acted totally different. And he was under an actual villainous regime. Like the Romans had the right to kill him and they did so. And Jesus suffered and did what he did, but didn't hate them. He didn't scream at Pilate and yell terrible, terrible things. Paul numerous times is going through persecution and doesn't, he's not bothered by it. I'm sure there's days where he's kind of like, man, I don't really like people today. But Paul was totally committed to loving God and loving others. And he did it to an amazing extent. That's our job as Christians. Yeah. And I'm really glad that you like answered in that way, because as it's like being my first year having to vote, I've like started to pay attention to politics more. Mm -hmm. And uh, now that you say that, I've noticed that like, I have like started looking at and like I realize that somebody's on the other side as me and then I'm like then I like my immediate thought is like oh what's wrong with them they're like the enemy and then all of a sudden it's just like wait no like I have a lot of friends that don't stand on the same side as me and it's like it's good thing to like step back and realize like they're people too like yep. yeah well and we talked about this in Judges there is an enemy yeah he's there's one enemy oh, yeah. in all of his mm-hmm. legions and he's a terrible individual who is trying to destroy humanity mm-hmm. Revelation 12, I just preached it on Sunday, is very clear who our enemy is. There's no doubt. However, he he is in infecting things and he's affecting things, but that doesn't mean the people that he's infecting or affecting are our enemy. Mm-hmm. Like the story of Judas is tragic, not because Judas turned Jesus in and hung himself. The story of Judas is tragic because Judas didn't give enough time to process his opportunity for repentance. If you compare the story of Judas and Peter, mm-hmm. they both bailed on Jesus. But Judas never has the chance to repent. And that's the sad part of that story. And I'm not even talking about suicide or anything. I'm not, I'm not even going there right now. I'm just saying I would have loved the story where Judas comes back a couple God, days later and go, no way. He rose from the grave. You mean I didn't sell him out? This is amazing. And Judas shows up to Jesus and goes, I'm so sorry, Rabbi. I can't believe I messed it up. Can you imagine that conversation? Oh my gosh, I have goosebumps. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That would be... Jesus would have been like, you messed up. I love you. Let's mm-hmm. go. Come back in. Get... Yeah. And that's what he does to Peter, right? On the shore of Ge- the Sea of Galilee, he says to Peter, come me. follow me. Follow me, follow me, follow me, right? If, if you love me, love, me. Love, you know, love my sheep. If you mm-hmm. love me, love my sheep. Mm-hmm. Over and over again. And what he's saying there is, I love you. I don't care that you messed up. Are you back? Mm-hmm. And we sometimes paint the picture of in and out. Versus, are you pointing toward Jesus and walking toward him, or are you walking away? And if you're walking away, all you need to do is turn around and go back. It's never too late. And so there is no such thing as an enemy on this earth, unless Satan is walking around as a human being right now, in which case that is our enemy. 
I highly doubt that's Hillary Clinton. Yeah, people who want to. I highly doubt mm-hmm. that's Donald Trump. You know what I'm saying? And I've heard both of those things the last four years. Like, if Hillary would have won, I'm so glad because the world would have ended because she's the Antichrist. And I'm like, whoa. And then I've heard people say, like, Donald Trump is clearly the Antichrist. No. I think almost every politician that we deal with tells us they're religious because they want our vote, but none of them are really following the ways of Jesus. Mm -hmm. And if that's the case, then I don't put my hope in them. I trust someone else. And if everything falls apart, if America disappears from the face of the earth in the next 10 years, I don't think that's going to happen. But if it does we're still going to be okay because we follow Jesus. Mm -hmm. Hey, thank you so much for listening to the Yamcast. You can check us out at yamcast.podbean.com or on any other podcasting apps like iTunes. We would love it if you'd leave us a review that is any number between four and a half and five stars. If you have any questions that you'd like us to answer here on the podcast, you can email us at yamcastpod at gmail.com. That is yamcastpod at gmail.com. If you'd like more information about us, you can check us out at parkhillschurch.com or on the app store with the Park Hills Church app. We are also on Instagram, so give us a follow at the yamcast. All right, we ready? <clears throat> James, that's the start of the episode. Yeah, we got to wait for the ringing to stop. I hope he uses that as the uh, the outro. <laughs>